0: To the bonus listener request episode of Battle Red Radio for this week for NFL preview, the first episode was you know a lot longer with uh, picks and everything else. Looking at Houston, Buffalo, Carolina, Dallas, Baltimore, Denver, Arizona, Los Angeles, and so rather than tack on a bunch of you know Texans questions to that overall NFL preview, I thought instead I would just go through and empty out the mailbag. And gets all the questions that we were asked tonight, and unfortunately, this is just going to be me by myself instead of one of our, you know, great friends of the website, anybody on the website, because uh, it's just how it kind of worked itself out tonight. So the first questions we had here were from the one only at Smooth Grandma. His first question was, "Did Zach Cunningham go from most underrated to most overrated play, overrated player, in a span of three years?" And so I think with Zach Cunningham, it's one of those things where he was in a, a perfect role on a Texans defense in, you know, 2019 that still had Benarger McKinney, that still had D.J. Reader. that still had J.J. Watt. Um, and it was a defense, too, where he was the will linebacker, you know, play on the weak side of the defense where he was able to, you know, chase and tackle and just be able to get one-on-one shots against the ball carrier. And he was like really great. You know, go against scoop blocks from backside, where with his speed it was hard for able for you know, offensive guards to be able to you know, cut him off on plays. He had some good swim moves. He had the ability to kind of like dip under tackles too. And like even then, like he could be pretty brutal when taking on run blocks. And like the best game I think is Zach Cunningham's career was the game against Tennessee in you know, 2019 where. Justin Reed had that forced fumble interception into Winnie Merciless's hands. Like that game, like Cunningham was awesome at containing Derrick Henry and stopping the run and really like delivering some enormous hits on him. And overall I think that was the best season of Zach Cunningham's career. And like last year, you know, Bernard McKinney went down. And I'll always stand on the hill that Bernard McKinney was a better football player than Zach Cunningham just because Cunningham was in a complimentary role on that front seat front seven, whereas McKinney, you know, he had to play zone coverage and carry the seam. He had to take on, you know, guards and power double teams at the point of attack. Like it's that meme, like his hands look like this. So her hands look like this. It's, uh, you know, Benarge McKinney, like purple and busted and bleeding and Zach Cunningham, you know, wearing his Lerman jacket clean with, uh, without any dirt all on, uh, on him at all. Cause you know McKinney, pretty much being a defensive tackle at the linebacker position, took on more blockers, was able to create easier pass for Cunningham and give him those one versus one tackle opportunities on the backside of the play. And so last year, whenever McKinney was hurt, they put they move they move Cunningham from will linebacker to middle linebacker. And At that spot, you know Cunningham was lost the entire year. He's never been a good. He's never been good in coverage. Like even when Cunningham had his best year in 2019. He was still awful in coverage against, you know, Kamara or McCaffrey or anybody else, or anybody else. And we have those battles in the flat where he has one versus one coverage opportunities. And so he was never good in that role to begin with. And so middle linebacker, he has more coverage coverage roles. It's more important for him to, you know, carry the hook or carry the seam, defend the hooks, and he had problems doing that. And his run fits were just terrible at the middle linebacker position. You know, that big Nick, Nick, Nick Chubb run against Cleveland was a result of that. That big run that David Montgomery had in that, awful Cle- in that awful Chicago game, that was because Zach Cunningham guessed and missed and opened up that enormous run on the outside zone play in that game too. And, like, his run fits were all over the place, and he was a, a bad tackler, um, just an abysmal tackler. Like, he's never been a good tackler in his career. He doesn't really wrap up and drive all that well. He's a big, like— grab somebody and sling them, and he was the same way at Vanderbilt. And that was, like, my big concern about, you know, his game whenever he was drafted. And, like, the speed has been good enough. The athleticism has been, you know, great enough. And he was in such a good role that the, his inability to tackle never really kind of crushed him at all. But last year at that middle linebacker position was exactly that. And then this year he's back at Will Linebacker. And so I thought he would have, you know, a little bit of a bounce back and you know, Levy Smith's defense playing Will again. But it's the same problems. as The run fits are terrible. Um, He's not having those same one-versus-one opportunities on the ball carrier because this defensive front isn't close to the same level of talent that they had, you know, two years ago even. And so now he's getting one-versus-one matchups against offensive guards, and they've been eating him up. Like, he really hasn't been able to to dip around those blocks at all. He's been really blockable to the second level. The pass coverage has been terrible, too. Especially in a defense now that even relies more heavily on the linebackers to be you know, really good pass coverage and he hasn't been there yet at all either. And the contract extension is really kind of like an albatross, you know. And the fact that they restructure this contract this offseason kinda of guarantees that Cunningham's gonna be on the roster for probably, you know, two more years. I think if a team offered a fourth round pick for him, you know, personally I would take it. Um, I just don't really see like the upside in him. I think he's a complimentary player. The Texans need like six other really good players for him to be really good himself and they don't have that at all. And so this is kind of like a long-winded winded way to answer. I don't think Cunningham has gone from, you know, the most underrated player to the most overrated player because I think he's been pretty overrated the entire time. And I think people got kind of lost in the tackle numbers and everything else, but we look at like the real impact he has, how he affects his teammates, how he makes his teammates better, and the role that he was given, how kind of like Easy of a role he had in that defense, I mean, you know, back in 2019. I just feel he's been overrated from the in the entire time. And the last two seasons have kind of really shown all the weaknesses in his game. Now that they've been able, now that they've been forced to rely on Cunningham uh, to make more plays and kind of anchor this front seven too. So his next question here is: Does John Grenard or Jacob Martin get more snaps than Whitney Merciless? Now I out of all these three guys, like I know merciless, I think has three sacks this year. You know somehow it's kind of insane that that's occurred, but uh, I think Greenard's the most interesting player of the three. Like Jacob Martin can only play pass rushdowns. He gets eaten up in the run game. He's not a good run defender at all. It's been like this since he was you know, brought here to Houston. And as a pass rusher, he's a guy who's good at getting like an occasional sack or so, but he doesn't create like consistent overall pressure at all. And offensive tackles don't know how to block him too. They just overset on his outside edge rush because he can't bull rush you. And his inside move is pretty much like he just like chops a lot. So it doesn't really seem like he has a plan either. He just kind of flails his arms around at the tackles punch. And sometimes enough, like he's kinda of like a windmill, like a like a Don Quixotean windmill, and is able to slap hands away and create an inside path. And that's how he had that sack in Jack Conklin. After that, he was locked out for the rest of that game, too. And, he, you know, he'll again, like, he's good for getting a sack occasionally, but the overall, you know, pass rush disruption isn't there. I don't think he's a particularly good player. I think he's more of a mean player, you know. And then, you know, Merciless is slow. He's old. He he can't cover at all. He's not very good in the run game. You know, both of his sacks so far this year have just been kind of like chased down coverage sacks. And so I'm, I'm really hoping that Jonathan Greenard gets the most snaps this week. I don't know if it's going to happen because the Texans are still playing their veterans. But, you know, Grenard, or Greenard, however you say it, we'll say Grenard from now on, he has, like, a litany of pass rush moves. Like, in college, you know, he's able to pull up to DeMarcus where, you know, half spins, spin back around. He has a good rip. He's pretty strong. He's rangy in coverage also. He can kind of even, I think, play linebacker better than McKinney can maybe at this point. And a pass rusher, like, his chops are good. And he's a better athlete. And he's fresh, and he can even defend the run somewhat too. So like he's really he's really similar to Whitney Merciless, and then they're pretty similar players. He just doesn't have the same level of like athletic profile coming out of college. But the difference here is that he actually is athletic now, like Whitney Merciless. I don't think either one's can get more snaps than Merciless. But if I had to choose between the two, I would go with Grenard. The next question here is: Does Big play Vernon Hargraves Intercept the immortal Josh Allen, you know I I really love the idea of big play Vern Hargraves after his interception against the Jaguars, where he was able to bail off the, bail off the flat and pick off that corner route throw. Or Lawrence was just guessing, you know he was like, oh yeah, it's covered too. I'm throwing the corner uh, without ever actually checking the cornerback at all. But I mean he's been bad, you know like he doesn't he doesn't tackle well. He has been really kind of getting chewed up on those corner routes. Uh, where he's not squeezing it at all. He's not doing a very good job forcing wide receivers into the teeth of the defense whenever he jams. Because ca- like the whole idea covered, too, is you know you jam, you try to force the wide receivers inside, to, into the linebackers, into the safeties, and you take away the sideline. You're able to kind of play two routes at once at the same time. And he hasn't really done that at all. Um, the fact that he had one interception was beautiful. I'm very happy for him. But I don't imagine him having many more of those at all. Especially, you know, Josh Allen's interceptions usually come from him. You know, being a little bit inaccurate, throwing too hard, and you know, maybe if like Emmanuel Sanders has a ball off his fingertips and bounces back into Hargraves, that could happen. but I'm not expecting it at all, and we do need to find like a new big play uh, X a player because we don't have one right now. I think probably Grenard would probably be the best one because he's had, you know, that sack last week um, against Carolina. And maybe Ross Blacklock could be up there as well too. Those are probably kind of the two guys in the running right now. It's obviously Justin Reed, but they'll point big play, big play player X. It has to be somebody's kind of like unknown, kind of crappy, and then Alan Knowhere shows up and makes a big play. And I guess maybe Blacklock or Grenard doesn't fit that either. But we need to find one sometime this year. Last year we had big almost play P.J. Hall, but uh, we're we're looking for scraps right now. And so his next question here is. You only fire one, Jack Easterby, or Texans pup, Choose. I'm going Texans pup every time. You know, personally, I think Jack Easterby has been given a bad rep. Bad rep. I don't. I think he's imperative to the Texans operation. And no matter how many times they say, you know, we want to communicate clearly and effectively, and say Jack does a lot of good stuff here. It's my asshole. What good stuff does he do? And they don't tell you that at all. That is because that that's not your business at all. That's the business between the Houston Texans internal organization and has nothing to do with you at all whatsoever. So ignore it. Eastbury has been important to this team's success. He's been paramount to the hiring of David Coley and Nick Casario, who will deliver the the first Super Bowl in Houston Texans history. And also he's needed here to be able to realign the culture and improve the morale of a team who was decimated uh, psychologically, by the Bill O'Brien era, too. That dog is a terrible dog. That dog's a demon. That dog is reddit culture. It's brainless. It takes away from you know the real the real truth going al- going along here. And uh, it's a very lame attempt at a PR move to fix something that you know, has been broken for a while now. So our next question here is from at Chilcut's Deep, who has another Texans pop question as well, too. He said, "What's more likely to get at Texans pump banished from the franchise? One, conversion to Islam and changing his name to Abdullah, or two, hiring David Mulgeta as his agent." I think this is a this is <laughs> this is something else. Um, I would go with hiring David Mulgeta as his agent because what Mulgeta would do, he would tell Texans pump, you know, you shouldn't be here. They're wasting your prime. You know you're a dog. Your prime is only two years at all. You're never get that back. You know I know that you're a loyal creature, but you know this organization doesn't preach loyalty at all. They're they're wasting your your sparkiness. You know you'd be doing a much better job leading the blind in you know some place that has better weather or a better coaching staff or whatever else exactly that you know this dog this dog likes. I don't know where the most blind people in the country or that Texas pop could supposedly help out, but maybe there. But I'm going to go number two on this one. The next question we have here is from at Brian Griff 44. If someone offers three firsts, multiple seconds, or players and other mid-round picks before the trade deadline, do you take that? Never know what happens at the end of the season. And this is kind of, I guess, like the the question here, you know, with the trade deadline coming up in three weeks, is, you know, what offer is too good of an offer to make the trade for Deshaun Watson right now? You know, like personally, I I think there's no way you can trade him until after the season because you have to know what those draft picks are worth. You have to get top ten picks for Watson, and I think like Watson's so talented that even if you traded him mid season to Miami. The Dolphins would still probably win nine games, you know, at that point, uh, because of how good he is, and like you know, you can pretty much. I don't think the term they would just have to change the terminology in the offense, but they all kind of run the same plays to a certain extent too as well. And like I just, I just can't, I can't, I can't see a trade package being good enough to warrant trading him without knowing those picture are me worth. And I, the you know the Deshaun situation, strange. Um, we don't know what's going to happen. We don't know what he did or didn't do. You know, all we know is that he's been accused of sexual assault, that he wants a trade from the Houston Texans. But I do think like that Watson, if he's suspended, it probably won't be until 2023. And I mentioned this, you know, a couple of times before that the NFL investigation process, whenever they conduct their investigation, they take the, Accusers, you know, pretty much their evidence against the player, and they give the evidence over the player. so, so then the player can defend himself. If you're going into a civil court case, you're not going to hand your case over before the civil case. You know, Watson, playing or not playing football probably is as important as what you would get in a civil case or even gain justice in a, a criminal court case if it goes along to that as well too. And so Watson set for trial, I believe next year and because of how long the trial process is after that and everything else that occurred between now and then too, I really don't think Watson's going to be suspended until 2023. Now, I think the only argument really for trading Watson at the trade deadline isn't like you get three first-round picks or three second-round picks or whatever the package is, it's that you're trying to get in front of a potential suspension. And so that way you trade him now. You don't have to worry about a suspension your next spring derailing what you could get for him at all because like he's the asset this team has and the really like at the, at the end of the day the season only kind of matters what they get for Watson because if they nail those picks they nail this trade they get springboard then it's the next good Texans team if they don't do that this is gonna be a long rebuild and the Watson trade kind of has to have that happen so I don't even think like you know three first round picks multiple seconds you know players and mid-round picks like I don't think I'd really take that. I think I would wait it out and see what happens at the end of the year. I feel pretty confident that he won't be suspended until two years from now. And like I wrote about before too, I think the Giants are like the sneaky tank, the sneaky team. Uh, Watts can be traded to. The Giants have two first round picks. They're zero three right now. They have the Bears first round pick. They're one and two. The Bears can't, you know, pass protect out of empty. They don't have a, a good game plan for Justin Fields at all. They're pretty stationary. Fields reads the field, you know, pretty slow right now. He has kind of like a long delivery too. He seems like a guy like kind of Jalen Hurts right now. who needs to have a really good offensive line in front of him. He could give him plenty of time to make th- make re- uh, give him plenty of times to read the defense and be able to kind of see it and throw it. And so he doesn't have that there right now. And so I think if you trade Watson to the Giants at the end of the year you know, the Giants probably have to have a new drill manager or anything else to miss the playoffs this season. You get the Bears' first-round pick, the Giants' first-round pick, and then you have your own first-round pick, and you have three top-ten picks this draft. And then you can, you know, trade down, trade up, and get a quarterback, maneuver those however you see fit. But if you say you have, you know, two first-round picks, you know, a first-round pick in 2000, um, 2023, two second-round picks on top of that, and then I mean, the Giants don't really have, like, a ton of young players at all. Um, you know, like, I don't know. You, I, I Like, the Giants are kind of more like a veteran defense and same thing offensively, too. Like, do you want uh, Coney very much? Do you want the edge rusher they drafted from Georgia that has a weird name? Like, do you want uh, Jimenez? Do you want guys like that? And, like, I don't know. Like, I think, I think Lawrence is probably pretty interesting, but... That's kind of it, you know? And so I don't really know if I would trade any sort of, uh, if I would really care that much about, like, players that you may get for them. It's all about draft picks. Draft picks are the most important resource in a rebuild. The Texans need as many of them as possible. But I think, you know, if you get three first-round picks, two second-round picks, you know, from the Giants, and then fill out however it is they you want to fill out from there, I think that's probably the best destination as of right now. Um, we had another question from Ad Chill Cuts Deep, and he asked, after three weeks, what or who is most to blame for the poor rushing attack? And, like, it's, it's weird because the offensive line can't block outside zone, and they try to block outside zone, and they keep trying to block outside zone, and they can't do it. The left side, Houston's offensive line, is so bad at doing it. They can't make backside double-team blocks. They don't know how to, like, use angles to turn the shoulder to make it easier to pick for the for the second guy to hook anybody, um, the time's been pretty good. Like out on the edge blocking that play, but the left side just been a disaster. And there's so much ties Howard moving to guard, but he's never been a good run blocker. Even when he played guard, right guard his rookie year, he was bad against the run. He's bad against the run at right tackle too. Um, he hasn't been good at the spot now at left guard also. And so and like Larry Tensil does even look like he wants to run block at all. He seems disinterested. He doesn't play very hard in the run game and they've had a lot of problems there. I think Sharping's been pretty bad uh, in that spot too. He's just not very strong and so he has problems, you know, with that. Like his agility's still kind of funky. Justin Britt's like been really pretty good. And I'm surprised by how good he's been. Like he understands leverage really well. He's so good at grabbing the chest and really locking on the blocks. He's good at reaching the outside shoulder and turning nose tackles. And then Marcus Cannon—I've been surprised by how like well of his own he has been too, because he didn't—he was bad at it in New England, and he's looked pretty spry, especially considering he hasn't played for, you know, a year after seeing it last year, uh, with COVID going on, as it you know continues to do so too. So I think all in all, like it's mainly the offensive line, it's the run scheme to try to run this play, but when they run like inside zone, they're pretty good at it. When they run duo, they're pretty good at it. Like whenever they're getting hip to hip double teams and moving the first level, that's what they've had success with because they are strong up front um, and like those blocks too. If you're able to move the first level, you know four or five yards, it's able to kind of cover up any mistakes that you may have as far as like picking up the second level, making a little bit tougher, more precise blocks. And then the running back position, they're just not breaking tackles. You know David Johnson's just pretty much a, a pass catcher at this point. Um, Philip Lindsay. You know, he's an outside zone back. And it's not necessarily so that I think he's missing holes at all, but he keeps trying to turn everything outside at the edge, and he just doesn't have the same level of speed as before, too. And he's not really hitting any cutbacks as well, but whenever the backside of the, of the run game isn't able to hit scoop blocks, you lose that cutback opportunity. And so he's constantly, like, looking to balance everything wide because the gaps are, aren't there and nobody's hooking guys. And, again, it's a, it's a bad run scheme for him right now, too. And... You know, it's funny that Mark Ingram is the only guy who's breaking tackles, is the only guy who's bouncing off uh, defenders at all. And, like, he's kind of picking up yards by sheer will and determination. And I would never expect for Ingram to be as good as he's been this year. But he's been pretty good. He's been, you know, far and away the team's best running back, which has been interesting to see, too. So the the next question we have, which is our last question tonight is from a member of the masthead at Houston Houdini. Um, I guess I don't know what you call it. His profile name is Amateur Mocker Matt Robinson. Make sure to follow him on Twitter. He's been writing a really good college football matchup article every week. We give which gives you information on like which which like draft which matchups within the college football game may have draft implications. And I don't watch much college football, but it's been interesting to to read and. Kind of give me an idea of like which names I'm going to be hearing about next next year. And it's been kind of fun to see like you track, you know, who's had a good game and who's maybe you see their stock jumping up or not. And so it gives you a good background whenever you watch games on Saturday. That's what you do. Or whenever you read the mock drafts as you're probably doing a lot here in the next like three or four weeks also. But that being said, he asked, hey Matt, long time listener, first time caller. Nearly a quarter of the way into the new season, and we're assuming Justin rechases money elsewhere, which remaining expiring contracts are you prioritizing extensions with on the Texans roster? Now, this is a good question, and it's, it's good mainly because the Texans' you know, young talent really isn't all that great right now. And it's, it was weird also because we didn't necessarily know if the contracts or the players themselves weren't good or if it was a coaching staff issue. Where you know you had Bill O'Brien and one of the things that was kind of known about his coaching style or like how his team worked is that they didn't develop talent very well. They also didn't do you know a whole lot of high level coaching. They didn't really work all that hard on you know prioritizing, uh, prioritizing you know teams' ability to improve players in the position that they play, and they mainly just kind of worked on like game situations and that sort of thing, um, to kind of like you know pass the time and get through their practices so whenever we look at who their free agents are so when we look at their free agents for next offseason uh there's a lot of guys here you have Whitney Merciless you have Tyrod Taylor David Johnson Malik Collins Philip Lindsay Justin Britt Desmond King Christian Kirksey Mark Ingram Camry McGregor-Hill Danny Amendola Terrence Brooks Neville Hewitt Rex Burkhead, Demarcus Walker, Vern Hargraves, Chris Conley, Vincent Taylor, Anthony Miller, Joe Thomas, Tay Davis, Tremont Smith, Jared Christian, Julio Johnson, Anthony LeClaire. It's a lot of guys. The, all the guys I just listed are guys that Nick Asiria added this offseason. And that was kind of like one of the things about his acquisitions by adding veteran players. Like, really, what are you going to get out of it? You're not going to you assign one of, these, one of these guys probably to a long term extension because they're older, because your competitive cycle. And really, all they're going to do is maybe you get a pick form at the trade deadline for a team that's like, you're about to be one in seven probably after, um, by the time that they get Tara Taylor back in the offense, or they affect your compensatory pick calculations for next offseason. And then, in addition to these guys, they have kind of the younger players that have been hanging on the roster. They have AJ Moore. They have um they have Justin Reed. They have Jordan Akins. They have Jacob Martin. And like I guess those are kind of, I guess, more of the interesting names. Like they have Pharaoh Brown as well too. I think like prioritizing extensions. I do think Justin Britt's been good this year. He's also 31. Um, he's not the issue on like this run blocking team. I think they stick to the outside zone. He would probably be a pretty cheap guy to be able to sign long term. And every interview that you hear with him, like he likes playing football. And it seems like it's something that he wants to do for, you know, a long time after learning how to like block and walk again after his you know, bat injury uh in two thousand and twenty. So I think I think Britt's somebody who would be like probably like a, a good cost effective resigning. And then we look at the other guys who are non veterans, you know, none of the veterans that they've signed play that well. I was really excited for Desmond King, but he's made zero impact so far this year. He's been you know, missing kind of his coverages too. He's missed a few tackles, especially that screen touchdown pass that they were able to hit um, against Cleveland against them. And we look at like, the more interesting names. like I think Justin Reed is a Pro Bowl caliber safety, and he's been awesome in the scheme so far. But who knows where he's going to be going. And like you mentioned the question, if he does chase money elsewhere. And then you kind of have Akins and Martin. And, like, Akins is pretty much, he's already 30 years old, which is, you know, funny. Uh, he was, like, 27 years old when he was drafted. On this Texans offense, they're really not using him as a pass catcher. He's used kind of more of a decoy to open up routes for other people. And so I really wouldn't keep him at all. Jacob Martin's 27. You know, again, like, he is not an impact, like, he's an impact pass rusher. He's not, like, consistently you know, disrupting plays at all. And so I really wouldn't be interested in signing and Martin. He's also not a, a three-down player as well either. You only keep him there as like a like a bullpen pass rusher, you know. So I'm not interested in keeping Martin. But I really think it's only Justin Britton and Farrell Brown. And Brown's 28. He's far and away the best blocker at the time position on this team. He's one of the best run blockers on this team. He's probably the best run blocking tight end in Texans franchise history. And we still haven't seen him, like, fully be utilized in the past game. He had that one touchdown against, his, against the cover zero blitz against Jacksonville. He's had some brutal yards, such as the catch runs, uh, kind of like Logan Thomas, Wars, the Terminator, just kind of uh, vaporizing defensive backs too. But I think there's more there to be discovered as a pass catcher as well. Like if anything, if you sign him to a three-year deal, you know, you're at least getting three good three good years of blocking, and then whatever he does as a pass catcher is an added bonus. But you know, really next year, from what we've seen so far, Nobody here has really kind of made the case that you want to keep them here long-term, aside from probably Justin Britt and Justin Reed, who's not part of this question, and Farrell Brown. And the rest of these guys just really haven't you know, done much at all uh, just yet too. So the Texans are kind of in a weird spot. Now the, the next question, I guess this is the last question, is from at AKS313. He said, "I agree with my take on the Texans to have a trade deadline for Watson, but give me two or three stars and some picks, you might twist my arm into a trade." What position? What positions would you like to see filled? Provide stars are included into a trade. Um, I think right guard for one. Like I'm not. I don't think sharping smell that great there. Uh, I would even kind of say like left guard too, because I want to see Ty Howard back at right tackle. I think Can's been pretty good there, but I would I would much rather see, you know, Howard at right tackle. And, of course, the, like every spot of the defense could use a contributing starter. The linebacker group is kind of, like, Gregor Hill has probably been the best one of the three with that game he had against Cleveland. Kirksey kind of fools goal game against Jacksonville, and he's had troubles in the run game and coverage too. They don't have an impact pass rush on the defensive line, so anybody can rush the pass speed to viable too. And, like, the biggest black hole in this team right now is, you know, deep cornerback. Uh, they don't have any cornerback talent they don't have young cornerback talent, they don't have veteran cornerback talent. They're pretty much playing cover 2 in a way because of their lack of cornerback talent. So at least cover 2 you know ensures that they won't get absolutely you know toasted trying to try and play man coverage because they can't play man coverage, you know, really at all um, with the with the talent they have in the cornerback position. But I think like anything on defense would be you know very helpful um, in doing whatever they can to be able to Buying talent that side of the ball, I think would add into uh, a potential Watson trade. But again, like overall, it, it really kind of is about what what draft picks you get and making sure you get top 10 draft picks because that's the most important part of whatever you get in a trade for, uh, for Deshaun Watson. So, anyways, that's the end of the, the bonus show tonight. Answering listener questions. I wish we could have included these into the NFL preview, but that one went a little bit too long. But there's you know two hours of, of Battle Red Radio for you and, and your family and your loved ones and everybody else as you enjoy your weekend and get ready to watch my own personal Super Bowl with the Texans playing the Bills on Sunday. And I'll also make sure to have a, a Texans-Bills Six Things to Watch for a game preview for you Saturday morning as well, too. So until next time, I'm Matt Weston. Thank you for listening to Battle Red Radio. And thank you for listening to... You're a deep and answer in this world too. That good to me. I thought it was pretty good. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help.